You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello and welcome to Modern Musicology. My name is Alan. I'm here with my co-host, Anthony. Good morning, evening, afternoon, whenever it is you're listening. And Rob. Hello. All right. (laughs) Good one. Okay, so we have a big topic to talk about tonight, and that is the recently announced inductees for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame 2022. Before we jump into that, though... um, We've been off for a couple of weeks, so I know we've got a lot of stuff we've been listening to. Anthony, what you've been hearing this past week? I've been listening to quite a lot, and I guess I have about six weeks of highlights to catch up with since I went <laughs> to London, then gone. got COVID, and haven't been around for a while. So here are some edited highlights. All right. um, the first thing I really want to give a shout out to is the new album from Church of the Cosmic Skull, who, if you were not familiar with them, they do this whole... Um, psychedelic 70s inspired rock shtick uh lots of hammond organ uh they're like seven members of the band they do kind of three-part harmonies and that kind of thing but they do it while posing as a cult and they're very fun very silly and they just put out their new album there is no time and that's been getting some really heavy rotation from me the lead single from that one more step is just fantastic So that's really had a huge amount of rotation. Some other shout outs, the new track from my boys in Ailstorm, P-A-R-T-Y. Gotta love that disco pirate metal. (laughs) Then because it was Eurovision last night, which Alan Mm. and I actually watched together at a friend's house, there have been a few things from uh, both present and past that I've listened to. So from a few years back, a guy called Luca Hani did a track called She Got Me, which is like a kind of club tune if it were in like a Turkish disco. It's kind of awesome. Nice. Uh, the release from Serbia from last night. Which oh, was my gosh. <laughs> so weird. So wonderful. And has really been the earworm of it for me. Um, yeah. It's all about like public healthcare systems, which you wouldn't expect in a Eurovision song. But it's, it just kind of implanted a seed in my brain and just hasn't quite gone away. And it, it's really getting to me. United Kingdom's entry, Spaceman by Sam Ryder. <sighs> Listen to that a few times. It's good. It's better than I think any of us gave it credit for yesterday. And I can see why it finished where it did. Yeah. Then outside of Eurovision, three particular songs I want to give a shout out to. And sorry, I know I'm going a bit long on this. I've been watching a YouTuber called Pat Finity, who does a series called What Makes This Song Stink. Oh, yeah. And yeah, he's so funny. But during the one where he um, he really goes off on train, he spends like 50 minutes asking people to stop the train. But he does (laughs) say, you know what would what wouldn't suck? A cover of Here Comes the Hot Stepper by a band called Dr. Dog, who are a um, a, a Philadelphia band. Yeah, I know them. And they went and actually recorded it because he told them to. And that cover absolutely kills. It's (laughs) awesome. Go check it out. 
Additionally, while we're in cover zone, Giorgio Moroder, about five years ago, did a cover of Tom's Diner with Britney Spears. And that has massively been massively on rotation for me. And then last but not least, because I've got to mention them at least once in the show. Sparks. Sparks with Todd Rundgren. They did a track together about a year ago called Your Fandango. It is very, very silly. And it just it's another one of those ones that just got into my head and just kept burrowing. So that's been really fun. So those have been my kind of highlights. I realized that was quite a lot, but I tried to cram six weeks in here. Well, he did that really well. Um, I've been listening to a lot of stuff in the last month. Um, and with the radio show, I've also got a ton of stuff just sort of seeping through. So a very bre- abbreviated list. Um, first, you know, they were on, I'm sure Alan saw them on Saturday Night Live a couple weeks ago, but the Arcade Fire have a new record out called We. Yeah. And it's every, I mean, you always wonder why do they have so many people in this damn band? And then you hear them and it's like, okay, it all makes sense. Right. Right. But yeah, we, the new album from the arcade fire. um, I don't know how they do it or what the methodology is, but man, those, those melodies are catchy. Uh, Also from Australia, uh, endless rooms, the new record from rolling blackouts, coastal fever. Um, It's really, really good. Every record they make is just more and more progressively great. Um, Fontaine's DC with Skinty Fia. Um, they're probably one of the five best bands coming out of the United Kingdom right now. That whole record is really solid and, um, dig that a lot. And there's a new Bell and Sebastian. So if you're looking for some sulk rock, um, a bit of previous is their new record. So you can listen to it on a rainy day or bike around on a, on a summer day and listen to it and feel equally upbeat and cheery. And then lastly, I didn't think I'd put this on my list. I just wasn't sure. Uh, but the new Soft Cell record, uh, Happiness oh. Not Included. Uh, they did put the, the version of uh, The Purple Zone with the Pet Shop Boys on the, on the album, uh, which is the huge, massive hit they have right now. But they've got uh, songs about meeting Andy Warhol. they got songs about nostalgia. They've got like a song about Chernobyl that is ill-timed but not intentional. And um, they have a song called Heart Like Chernobyl that's really good, but the timing is terrible. And um, it's really good. It's their first new album in years. And they're touring. They're doing, I just got tickets to see them uh, in Chicago. Um, it's the first American tour since like I think 83, 84. And um, yeah, I wasn't expecting. Whenever one of these artists that are sort of um, legacy new wave acts makes a record, I get a little nervous. But yeah, this is really, this is actually got some some legs behind it. See, I was unsure when I heard the purple zone. Yeah. You know, it was just a bit too high energy in your face. It, That's it, as high energy as the album gets. I mean, it seemed more pet shop boys than soft Cell to me. And... Yeah. Well, they remixed it. So yeah, I, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'll go and listen to the non pet shop boys version or the non remix version. Yeah. And I'm not sure if it's on the album or not either. Cause they were originally going to release the album with that, with, with both versions. And now it's just got the hit version on it. So when you hear it without all of the uh, pet shop boys stuff on it, it sounds really interesting and, and different, uh, but not as high energy. It doesn't have that always on my mind. Um, keyboard riff in it. Hmm. Got it. Alan, yeah. how about you? I tell you, uh, for most of this time, I was listening to a lot of Bowie because my uh, Bowie tribute band that I'm a part of, uh, Jerome Newton and the band that fell to earth, did a big show last week. 
uh, last Sunday. And so I was doing a lot of studying up for that, just making sure I had my arrangements in my head and all that kind of stuff. So once that gig was over, I started listening to a lot of other stuff and a lot of it wasn't anything new. But since Friday, the thing that I've been really paying the most attention to is uh, the newest album by Kendrick Lamar, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. Um, I've I'm I'm not a rap guy, but I, I have a huge amount of appreciation for Kendrick Lamar. I think he is such a genuine artist and a real like crafter of the, the music that he makes. I think he's uh, one of the most impressive people that's working. And I mean, it's been like five or six years or something since the last album, um, which, by the way, is the only non-classical or non-jazz work ever to win the music Pulitzer prize. So that's impressive. I know. Right. Um, but this new album I've been giving a, a, a number of spins to, and I'm really enjoying it. Uh, Die Hard is my favorite track on it. Um, so far, I don't know that it's as a uh, concept albumy as his last album, damn. Um, but it's definitely, it's definitely coming out of the, the COVID situation. There's even a song on it called in 95. So uh, I would definitely suggest that to be checked out by anybody who's interested in such things. I'm, I've, I've very much enjoyed it. So in other news, yesterday was Eurovision. And uh, Rob has not had a chance to see it yet. He'd be watching it later tonight as we record. Anthony and I saw it yesterday. Uh, Anthony, what's your reactions? You know, it was everything you want from Eurovision. There's a lot of variety, some truly weird acts, uh, some ballads that don't go down particularly well. Yeah. Some extreme nationalism, um, not extreme, but, you know, some some high levels of national pride, I should yeah. say. Yeah. Like, nationalism has a different connotation. But overall, very, very fun. And as I said earlier, so delightful to actually see my home country probably doing the best it's done in 20 years and yeah. uh, accumulating more points than every single year in the interim between the last time we came second and now combined. It was awesome. Yeah, that, I was really, really impressed. And I've got some friends that live in the UK who were posting the song before the contest. And they were like, holy cow, I think we have a chance to actually do well in this competition. And then when they um, released the, the, the lineup, the order of performances, and UK was like, near the end like second or third from from the end they were like that's a great spot we're in this year so i mean i'm there was a lot of excitement about this song and about this this year's contest i'm going to need the names and addresses of those friends because i have to report them to the authorities because they are not nearly cynical enough to be british and should be <laughs> deported you know every once in a while something breaks through that british cynicism yes <laughs> But yeah, man, I, I enjoyed it. So um, you mentioned uh, Serbia. Who were some of your other standouts? Um, who was the one who did that kind of spaghetti Western inspired one? Was that, oh, that um, was... was that Estonia? I think so. That was so good. He was good. Um, who else did I really rate? I thought Ukraine, who were the winners, were yeah. good, but they weren't up there. Um, yeah. yeah. Norway were delightfully bonkers with Give That Wolf a Banana. <laughs> That was so wacko. And, you know, of course, um, I, I would be hugely amiss if I didn't mention Spain. I didn't think much of the track, but the yeah. uh, the performance was um, 
Yeah, that's uh, that definitely got my interest. <laughs> Turned a friend of ours straight, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> as he proclaimed in the in the room that we were watching. Um, I was really, I think my favorite one was Moldova. I was oh, they I were really shit insane. <clears throat> I really love their song. Um, I didn't when I saw the the music video before the contest, but watching the performance at the contest, I I was really into it. And it had such a really cool mix of traditional instrumentation with modern rock instruments. And I, I, I thought it was really great. They they were the one where one of our friends said the uh, the singer looked like Adam Sandler, right? Is that the one I'm thinking of? I can't remember. I can't remember. I don't know. Maybe. But yeah, I mean, overall, I really enjoyed it. This was, fun fact, this was my first time ever watching it live. What? Last year was my first time ever watching it, and I watched it. I got to our friends that we that we uh, met up with to watch this. I, I got to their house late, thinking that it was like starting at like seven or eight p.m. And, oh no! And they were they were very nice enough to like let us watch the whole like replay of it. <laughs> well, knowing so them, they year, were probably going to rewatch the replay anyway. <laughs> I know they were. They were going to do it. So this year, I got to watch it live, and it was so exciting. I've I've got to say, when they were tallying up all of the points, and Britain started doing well, yeah, my anxiety levels started ratcheting up in the same way they did when the England soccer team actually got into the finals of the European Championships, and yeah. you know that got to like full time, and it was nil nil and went to penalties. It was the same level of tension <laughs> and anxiety for me. That is awesome. And, um, you know, I'm I'm glad that Ukraine won it. I think it's a huge show of solidarity for the country. Yeah, I am slightly disappointed, but not mad that the UK did not win. Um, yeah, I don't know if you saw this morning. President Zelensky declared that the that Ukraine will host it next year, which I think is uh, That's ambitious. Awesome. That is. Yes, but it's also a statement of intent. It is. It's also so, a declaration of, you know, current political matters. They've got to wrap up that war and rebuild yep. in a year's time. Good I for him. Be I wouldn't be surprised if the organizing committee is already sounding out a backup. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would be surprised. Because <laughs> much as I admire the chutzpah there, yeah. I am not optimistic. optimistic. I know. So the, the the big highlight for me, I think, and I'm going to butcher the name, so you'll have to correct my pronunciation, was Monaskin, who played the sort of the after show after the, all the performances wrapped up and they went to judging and they debuted their brand new single, Supermodels, and did a, a second song after that. And they were spectacular. They have such great energy. Oh, my gosh. They're amazing. And I love how uh, in the new single they make reference to cocaine when, of course, the uh, yeah. the controversy last year was people thought they were doing cocaine at their table. Right. Um, so I thought that was wonderfully tongue-in-cheek. Absolutely. The other thing from the after show was I, I realized it was a relatively short performance, but Mika, he's still got it. I didn't see that, and I wish I had because I haven't actually heard anything from Mika in quite a while, and I would love to have seen that. I'm going to have to look that up on YouTube tonight. Yeah, he was good. Um, awesome. He, he did a, a little medley of four songs, only two of which I recognized. Oh, okay. That's cool. Good. I'm glad he got to do that. Yeah. 
All right, so we're going to take a little 30-second break to run an ad for one of the other podcasts on our network, the ESO Network, and we'll be right back, and we're going to be talking about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees. See you in a second. Helm report. Sir, there's Klingons in the starboard bow. Starboard bow? Starboard bow. What are they doing there? They seem to be waiting for the new episode of Earth Station Trek. Science, what do we know about this Earth Station Trek? It's a podcast that tracks through the history of Star Trek, from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. Navigation, how would one find such a podcast? By setting coordinates for EarthStationTrek.com or by doing a sensor sweep of Spotify, iTunes, or any other quadrant where fine podcasts are available. Captain, what are we going to do about the Klingons? We come in peace, Commander. Weapon station, shoot to kill. Shoot, shoot to, to kill. kill! Shoot to kill! All right, we are back. And uh, in the past couple of weeks, we had the announcements of the finalists or the, the actual inductees for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame 2022. And it's a very, very interesting list. And I'm looking forward to discussing it with you gentlemen to get your thoughts on this. Um, what are some of the things that either caught you by surprise or are, are big highlights for you? Anthony, I know one that is a big highlight for you. It is. I mean, obviously for me, Judas Priest, I am yeah, a little baby. disappointed that they didn't make it in the performer category and got kind yeah. of grandfathered in through musical excellence. I mean, yeah, I, I, I can appreciate that. I think they are excellent musicians, but... <laughs> I think they deserve to be there under performers, but uh, I'm still happy they're going to be there. Exactly. And there's probably some controversy with them as well in the members that have been selected. I was going to ask you about that. What do you think about that? I can't wait to see the bitch fight when KK Downing <laughs> proclaims that he's going to show up. Right. <laughs> That's going to be spectacular. I'm surprised that no one has started whining that Richie Faulkner has not been included, mm. given that he has now played on just as many albums as Les Binks, who is included. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's so strange. Um, like, it doesn't make any sense to me because they, they it's, it's almost like they have different criteria for what members get in on different years. Um, when or Hart even got, in the same band on the same year. Again, well, that's Judas true. Priest. Why is Les, Les Binks included, but not Richie Faulkner? Right. When Hart was nominated, they want, they, they only allowed the original six to come in um, Anne and Nancy petitioned for their 80s members who played on all the big hits to be included as well. And the Rock Hall said no. When Yes was inducted, it wasn't the original lineup. It was the sort of like the, the, the best of and Trevor Rabin. And, you know, he was only in the 80s. Um, and, you know, some of the ones who joined after Rick Wakeman and all those ones all got in. It, it makes no sense. I don't understand their thinking on this. Yeah, I mean, you look at Deep Purple. Why? Yeah. Uh, why you know Rod Evans and not uh, Tommy Bolin? Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it it does seem a little off as to how they choose who gets in. Exactly. Rob, what are some of your uh, highlights that you're seeing? Uh, I am thrilled to death that Harry Belafonte got in. Okay. Uh, mainly because it's it does a couple things. One, it's so off the radar of contemporary music listeners. Yeah. And two, um, you know, so much of um, contemporary soul music is influenced by Calypso. And people forget that just Belafonte was, like, huge back mm -hmm. in the day. Like, so that's really great. Also because I'm all for more persons of color in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But also um, just... Uh, you know, it's an award. It's also, I think, part of getting into the hall is you put in the work. 
you know, if that makes any sense, right? And when you have a career, even if it's a short career and you've put in the work, you need to be considered. But also if you have a long career, you've put in the work, right? So I think that's very much the case of him. He's prolific. His records are still great. They're huge um, in, in popular culture. Um, and I'll bounce that over to Lionel Richie, who I think gets mm. in. I think Lionel Richie gets in based on being Lionel Richie and also in the Commodores, where if I think if he's just in one of them, he doesn't necessarily get in. Um, but people forget that how big Lionel Richie was in the 80s. I mean, mm -hmm. if there wasn't, if Michael Jackson wasn't everywhere in the 80s, Lionel Richie was probably the runner up yeah. um, in many ways. So I was happy about that. Uh, I'm sure, Alan, you're going to talk about this as well. But I, uh, Pat Benatar getting in opens the doors for a lot of other people um, that have been on the fence for the last couple of years. And um, I'm not surprised about Duran Duran at all. Um, I am excited about them playing with Andy Taylor. I think that could be really interesting. Yeah. And I'm, I, so I'm happy about that. Um, the Eurythmics kind of kind of surprised me. Not that I'm, I, I, I do or don't think they're deserving, but like their first two records are incredible, right? After that, it's kind of singles and kind of get where you're going um, with their career, or at least in the States. So that surprised me considering some of the acts that didn't get in, that they did get in. Not that they're not deserving, but um, Jam and Lewis getting in for producing is great because that opens the door for other record producers that make pop, uh, pop music, not necessarily, you know, people that are in the vein of Brian Wilson or um, Phil Spector. So that's good. And um, I still wish we would have had uh, Devo and Kate Bush, but I was not expecting them. No, I mean, that's never going to happen. And that's where these like uh, these uh, subcategories come in. That's where the, the special committees are, are so important. You know, the early influencer, the non-performer and the musical excellence categories are all picked by a subcommittee, basically. And it's not it's not the same kind of process as the performer categories. And the importance of that is that it does sometimes pick up the slack on things like Judas Priest, where if there aren't the votes to get them in and it's recognized that they are a foundational band in a particular genre, they can still go in. And and I think if Kate Bush ever gets in, it will probably be through that. It will, 100%. That's exactly how yeah. it'll happen. It won't ever be by popular vote or by you know major committee vote. It's going to be musical excellence or one of those kind of things. I really wish they just removed the popular vote. I know that's unpopular, but it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't no, count. it doesn't. Yeah. If it's fan vote you're talking about, it doesn't. Um, yeah. The only time it comes into play, according to Eddie Trunk, who is on the committee, the only time the fan vote comes into play is if uh, when the voting body uh, elects and there's a tie, then okay. the fan vote can break a tie. That's Good. the only time that it factors in. So I mean, it's a fun I, thing to do, but it doesn't mean anything. I think it's also hugely disingenuous because you get a lot yes. of fans going, if I go and vote for Judas Priest right. and they're up top, they're definitely getting in. Right. When no. So either they need to just remove it entirely or yes. make it more important. They and, need to and, do one or the other. This tiebreaker uh, nonsense, can that. And that was that was my point too, is it's kind of like, well, what if you vote um for Judas Priest to get in in the fan vote and it's overwhelming, but they don't get put in? then yeah. you look you look really stupid right and i think that um, happened the first time that they were nominated there was a huge swelling of support for them mm -hmm. in the fan vote and they didn't get in yeah 
And I think this is a, a you. I, I don't know how unique, but I know it's 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 not always the case that the top five uh, fan votes all make it in. And in this case, um, we go down to like eight, eight or nine, and all of those got in. So it's 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 a it's it's an interesting thing that the that the voting committee sort of went the same way that the popular vote does. So it it doesn't always happen that way. I got to say, this might be a controversial statement, but I don't like people getting in on their first year of eligibility. Okay. That's interesting because I was going to say that it was surprising to me that Pat Benatar did not make it in the first year she was eligible and did get in second time. Well, uh, and, you know, this might be my own biases, but I think when you see someone like Pat Benatar or Judas Priest who are hugely influential, they don't get in the first time they're nominated, but then you get Eminem, yeah, who does. That just doesn't quite ring right for me. Hmm. And yeah, you know, again, I actually like Eminem a lot. I've been listening to Eminem since about 1999, mm-hmm. so this isn't like a bias against Eminem, right? Um, but you know, again, I feel like I feel like you've got to earn your stripes, and part of earning your stripes is getting rejected the first time you're nominated. <laughs> well. <laughs> Also, too, there is, you know, this has been so prevalent all over the media in the last couple of weeks, but there is sort of a hip hop problem with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and like who gets in, who doesn't, how does it work, how does it not go, go, get in. So Eminem, regardless of whether he is, you know, deserving or not, not deserving, non-deserving, um, he's he kind of gets to go in because people know who he is and everyone can kind of be like, okay, he's got this cred, this cred, and this cred. And then hopefully that'll open doors in the same way that Judas Priest will. Because um, there are a lot of hip-hop artists that aren't getting in, but there are also some that are kind of on the fence and there's some that need to get in. And I'm not sure how the criteria is to put that in, right? Well, but then you get into that whole argument of, is it a rock and roll hall of fame exactly. or is it a popular music hall of fame? And it well, really it's already, be, it should just be renamed the music hall of fame at this right. point. Yeah, it, it really is a popular music hall of fame. At this right. Point, exactly. You know? Exactly. But having said that, I think Eminem is probably the most rock and roll of any rapper that that's mm-hmm. out there, except yeah. maybe LL and he got in last or week. the beastie boys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. I'll get. I'll give you. But that. there's there is that there's that genre of hip hop that fits yeah. comfortably in there. The, right. Know. Right. Yeah. Who was the first hip hop act? Was it Grandmaster Flash? Was uh, he, it's either Grandmaster or Sugar Hill Gang, I think. Okay. Maybe that makes sense. Yeah. Which is interesting mentioning that because Sylvia Robinson um, is the founder of Sugar Hill Records and uh, is getting in this year as a non-performer. And I think that's, that's, that's really, awesome. really cool. The non-performer category this year is, is, is really interesting with Jimmy Iovine, who is a producer who has done a ton of amazing records with Springsteen and Stevie and all these people. Um, and Alan Grubman, who is, uh, a lawyer, you know, he's like an entertainment of, lawyer. And he's he, one of the and, founders of the hall. Yeah. And one of the founders of the rock and roll hall of fame. Exactly. Which I think is just super interesting. Well, the other thing too about Alan Trubman is that his work in entertainment law sort of changed yeah. how artists get paid, how that's they, true, that's how they true. get booked in that. So that's that's part of the reason it's in. It's not just hey, he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because he's on the committee, right? Exactly. Um, I, know, I know. It's not like he's going out for sandwiches and then they put him in. But I mean, he's done a lot of extra other stuff. But I think that's 
that part of the uh, of the Hall of Fame is important because it recognizes producers and label yeah. people. Because there are a lot of people that ran record labels that need to get in. Yeah, and also yeah. a lot of people that you know produce records or mix records or even sound editing. You know, mm -hmm. I wish there was a way to get session players in, but that's okay. Oh wow, we'll get there. The session player Hall of Fame. That's a great <laughs> idea. I love well, it. There's some. There's some that you know. Well, first nominee would obviously be Tony Levin. There and, you and, go. And Glenn Campbell. Yeah. And Glenn Campbell. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of producers, I, I got to say, and we're going to get to the to the main category in a minute, but I got to tell you, I am so excited about Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Um, I have been a huge fan of Jimmy and Terry for a long time. And, you know, most people associate them with Janet Jackson, but there's so much more that they have done. Um, probably my favorite album that they've ever done was uh, there was a band in the 80s called the SOS Band, and they did an album called Sands of Time, and that album is so fucking good, and I absolutely love it. And Jimmy and Terry, I, I think, are just incredible, and they've got something like 41 top 10 hits in America alone. It's mm -hmm. insane, and I am just so thrilled that they're getting in. So the main category, the performer category, this is... Even even counting Dolly Parton, since she had things like Nine to Five, which did get some MTV play, this is a huge MTV leaning list with Pat Benatar and Lionel Richie and the Eurythmics and Duran Duran, and we're talking about going all the way back to the origin of MTV. Duran Duran really were one of the first breakout bands from the MTV era, and Pat Benatar was the second video ever played on the channel. To the point where she was like, you know, our first album came out and, you know, we, we did okay. One week after getting our first video played on MTV and we couldn't walk down the street, you know, I just, I'm, it, it's, this, this is such a crazy list for me being so heavily MTV or, and even like Judas Priest got MTV play and Eminem in the nineties. So I'm like, I, you know. Growing up watching MTV from the very beginning, I'm I'm really excited about this year. So I'm going to ask this in complete ignorance of who's on the panels beyond Eddie Trunk, but do you think this could be a a kind of sign of a handover to kind of Gen X who were fundamentally the MTV generation and that generation mm -hmm. having more and more of an input into um, selection? That's a good question, and I, I think, don't know the answer. I think it's a yes and no. I think they have finally sort of beaten the stigma of, oh, you're an 80s band. But at the same time, um, I an area of deficiency they have is that they are not really adept at looking at pre-1950s, 1960s music and getting in people that probably need to get in. Um, but, they're, you know, sort of the legacy, some, some of the legacy stuff, you know. Um, but I think that they're realizing that they put in a lot of the big big seminal bands from the sixties and the seventies yeah. and they can't put a lot of other stuff in. So now I think they're going through the eighties and they're looking at careers about who had longevity, who's popular, who did interesting things and kind of going that way. And I think that I, I know Alan, you talked about MTV and that's true, but I think that, you know, the last five or six years we have slowly seen the eighties getting mm -hmm. more relevance as a musical decade. Um, yeah. 
but it's really landed this year. It really landed full on this year. Like yeah. before the eighties, it was kind of the fifties. that was kind of passively dismissed for having these like sort of one-off bands and weird sort of bands that came out of nowhere and nobody could keep track of them because there were so many, but the eighties is now kind of that decade you know, where people are re-examining it and looking at it culturally and saying, there's a lot of diversity. There's a lot of interesting stuff and it all does tie together. You know, because the one thing that all these bands did is that they made people move one way, shape or another, um, either like thrashing or dancing or bopping or just melodies, <laughs> you know, this, this sense of like kinetic movement in music mm -hmm. um, and, and music as, as, as a way to uh, sort of free yourself from things is, is really sort of also piggybacked with that thing with the 80s mm -hmm. and MTV. But the MTV point is absolutely fascinating we talked about pat benatar a minute ago i i, I was uh, a pat fan from day one like the, the heartbreaker was the first single that was released and it got a lot of play on rock radio and i was like dude this is awesome and then i bought the first album and i was like this is a weird album because it's such a mishmash of so many different styles like like they like they hadn't quite figured out an identity yet the second album is where her sound really coalesced into what we think of as Pat Benatar, you know? And uh, I think the, that combination of her and uh, the gentleman who became her husband, Neil Giraldo is so good as far as like him as a guitar player and her as a singer and the two of them as uh, performers and songwriters, I think they're just incredible. And I think too, that people in the last five years or so have really began to understand the, impact of Pat Benatar on performers today. Um, yeah. You know, everyone from St. Vincent to like Sharon Van Etten, you know, all mm. these, all these people, you can hear some element of even Sleater Kinney, you can hear some elements oh, yeah. of Pat Benatar in those records. Yeah. And I think that, you know, a lot of people look at her as a, as an artist and a musician, but they don't really think about, she really was a trailblazer in, how women got on the charts and how women managed their careers. So I hope that this um, getting her in sort of gets her really the full due she's, she, she should be getting. Yeah. So Alan, you're probably going to stop being friends with me after I say this, but that will never happen. Never happen. <laughs> you know, if I heard a Pat Benatar song, I'd probably be like, Oh yeah, I recognize that. Right. But off the top of my head, I don't know how a single one of them goes. I mean, I'm sure I would recognize Heartbreaker, but she feels like an artist that I feel like I should be aware of and know, but has just mm -hmm. never really come across my radar until we started doing this show, and I've heard you mention her several times. Hmm. So I've got some homework this week to go away and check out Pat Benatar. I will make you a little playlist Ooh, I look forward of ones to that. that I think that you will like. Thank you. Sure. My pleasure. Duran Duran and Eurythmics. I just want to say, I, you know, there was a lot of talk when the, when the nominations were announced that having two very similar bands from similar eras doing similar things would split the vote and one of them might get in, but they both wouldn't get in. I'm very surprised that both of them got in. I was going to say, I, I was surprised that we got two new wave slash kind of post punk yeah. type bands. Um, I was not expecting that. Yeah, I mean, right. the Eurythmics kind of aren't, while they're not necessarily in the same musical style as, as Duran, in the, in the long run, they sort of went back to a more soul-based mm -hmm. yeah. blues thing. And I think if they had not done that, then they may not have gotten in. 
But I think the fact, you know, you made records with Aretha Franklin and you've got records that are clearly stoop, uh, steeped in black music more than new wave music. I think that really helped get them in because that showed that they were sort of more than just a, a rock band type of thing. Um, and, you know, kids ask your parents when Sweet Dreams came out or even some of those five or six early rhythmic videos came out mm -hmm. on the TV, they were events. You know, they were also pioneers of the event video, right? But you cannot uh, imagine just what a groundbreaking track Sweet Dreams Are Made of This was yeah. in terms of like presentation of music and video and just um, radio play and things. And presentation yeah. of the performer too, because mm -hmm. she's coming out with this like really close cropped shock of orange hair and a man's suit and, you know, gender bending left and right. And this is at the same time that Boy George is happening. And this is like a whole sort of like the initial wave of a cultural revolution yeah. of, of, you know, our understanding of like gender roles and stuff like that. Yeah, and it's, it's really fascinating to look back on. And it's sort of the, it's sort of where new romantic and new wave meet rock is in yeah. the rhythmics. And um, it's, it's really fascinating how, that was perceived because the one thing that you get right away when you watch that sweet dreams are made of this video and even the love is a stranger video is that mm. this is a female performer that is a force of nature that's mm -hmm. you know so there at that time there's not a lot of female singers and bands that are like just basically shaking their fists at the system and doing what they want and yeah. they managed to do that so yeah can we talk about some of the bands who didn't make it yeah. beyond kate bush and devo the mc5 it yeah was sixth yeah time being nominated i know sixth <laughs> and they, they have should a new have record on the fifth, they should have let them in on the fifth time mc5 yeah yeah i mean the fact they have a new record out and they're going to tour i'm not really sure how this is going to work but yes i don't know how you don't put them in either um i think that there is sort of a backlash against putting that sort of that sort of genre is just kind of like they're very flippantly looked at, I think. And I think now it's getting reevaluated a little more. Um, but yeah, I don't see why they shouldn't be, you know, I mm -hmm. mean, they're not easy to category categorize. They're not punk. They're not rock. They're not glam. They're not metal. What are they? So that's part of it. Uh, but sometimes you just put a band in just because they sound so raw and unnerving and disturbing that you want to put them in. But that's where that's where the, the, the special categories come in. And that's yeah. they're going to come in at some point in as early influencer. Yeah. I would I'm describe them. I would describe them as garage rock. And I would mm -hmm. say that yeah. in this, I mean, fundamentally, they're in the same whatever the fuck it is genre as the Stooges. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, right. the, <laughs> I mean, they're they're different than some garage bands like, you know, like the Sonics. But they're also Iggy Pop at the same time. So how does that fit? You know, how yeah. does this fit into where we're going? But you can't listen to Soundgarden, for example, and not hear MC5. Um, you can't really listen to the White Stripes and not hear the MC5, you know? So, mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of, and we could go on forever with this, but they really need to be in. Yeah. And and then the other one, bit of a surprise, fourth time didn't get in, Rage Against the Machine, who truly are the intersection of mm. rock and rap. Mm, yeah it may be with them to perceive that it's too soon i'm just i'm just i'm just reaching but i but think it's that not might too be, soon for eminem 
I, I, right. I also think it's too soon for Eminem. But <laughs> well, I mean, okay. But but there's a there's a time limit that or a time frame upon which someone becomes eligible. And I think Once they, they, they need reach to scale, that thing. It's not too need, soon. But they, I think they need to change that. Well, that's possible. But um, you know, I just for some weird reason, I think Eminem getting in might open the door for Rage next. You know, later, but. Um, some of it is that rage does tend to sometimes rub some people the wrong way. And the hall does have voters that are conservative uh, in many ways. Yeah, that's true. Um, also that you can't really put a finger on what they are and the bands that you can't really put a easy box around always have to fight to get in. Mm. And you know what I would or, say to those slightly more conservative I, I uh, know. members on the panel? Fuck you. I won't do what you tell me. Yeah, you know, it's like <laughs> what are they? What are they putting the cocktail twins in? You know, I mean, you know, bands that are like in weird niches like that, right? Mm -hmm. And they definitely fill a niche, but they are so based on other things. You know, they're Public Enemy plus metal plus other. Th There's like ten or twelve different things that Raging Against the Machine could be. Yeah. Um, but sometimes bands, I think, don't get in because people are just scared of them. I, you know, that's the only thing I can think of. Fear will never get in. <laughs> I, oh, I don't think, I think Devo's the kind of the same way. I don't think they know what the hell to make with Devo. Well, that's what I was just going to say. Will Devo ever actually get in? Even, even if it's at the behest of one of these specialty categories, whether it be non, well, not non-performer, musical excellence or anything else, will they if, ever get if, in? I just don't know. If your idea about MTV holds, then yes. That's maybe. Maybe I I just can't wait for them to eventually get in on a special category and right. to take the stage in their yellow jumpsuits <laughs> with their orange tiered hats and break out into Mongoloid. It's going oh, I to know. be fucking and, glorious. I know. And I think you know the other thing too with with Devo is that I think that you know there's so many bands since them that have been influenced by them that it's kind of to the point now where you can't ignore them, right? Um, Maybe. They're a lot like the B-52s or Oingo Boingo, where they're kind of dismissed as like party bands or yeah. things like that. And people yeah. don't really novelty bands yes. get what's beneath them, you know. Agreed. Um, and that's and that's part of it. And then I, you know, the other thing too is that Devo, I think, is is kind of a band that if you don't know a lot about music, you just think of like, oh, you know, the covers of working in a coal mine and whip it and mongoloid. Oh, that's cute, and then you're done. You don't really dig deep enough, you know. I don't think unless you dig really deep, you don't really get what they're about. Yeah, and there really is some some solid musicianship in that band. I mean, yeah. everyone thinks the mothers. Well. Everyone thinks the mothers well, but you know, yeah, the percussion in Devo Records is just yeah outstanding. Agreed. And they just seem like really cool guys as well. I mean, they True. will go and play with Devo Tribute Acts. I've seen videos of Mother's Board mm -hmm. playing. I've seen David Kendrick. I've seen videos of him playing with um, what's the Devo cover band here in Atlanta? The one that supported Jerome Newton that one time. Oh, I can't remember their name. Um, Dang it. Devomatics, I think. Yeah, that might I, be it. I, I've seen video of David Kendrick playing with them on drums. It, it, like, they just seem like really cool You're guys. right. That's so awesome. If I were famous, I would just drop in with one of my tribute bands. I would. Do oh, it. absolutely. <laughs> I mean, how much fun would that be? Come on. The other one is: Will the New York Dolls ever get in? Yeah, that is said. a big. Yeah. That is a big question too. I think MC Five and and New York Dolls are kind of like on that same level. I, you know, they both should, but will they ever? 
Yeah. I don't know. And honestly, if they do bring in the New York Dolls, they need to induct all 200 members, including Blackie Lawless. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, if they're not going to have every member of Judas Priest, they cannot have every member of that. So. <laughs> <clears throat> nice. I want to get to... Um, so when, I, when the announcement came out, I posted it on my Facebook page, and our lovely, lovely friend, Stephanie Seymour commented on it and how excited she was and like that she couldn't believe that Carly Simon had not been in before. So there's a really interesting story behind that. And she has maintained over the years, over years that Jan Winter, who was the co-founder of Rolling Stone magazine and was on the original, uh, one of the founders of the rock hall and was on the, the board for a long time, told her don't ever Think that you're going to get in the rock and roll hall of fame don't ever aspire to that because you are never getting in as long as i'm associated with this you okay. will never be in he's not associated now and she's getting in so <laughs> well, still it's just not other bands have neck. made the same claim though so if it was just her saying that i would you know you have to kind of like you know weigh the who you know what's being said against what's not being said other people have said the same thing. Other people have made the same claim that he has essentially told them, don't, it's never going to happen. If I'm here, you're never getting in. So I think with, you know, the more witnesses you have to the same event, I, I give it a lot more credence. And I think that she's probably right about that. And, you know, I'm glad it's finally happened. Then I'm glad she's got some vindication on that. But so also, Stephanie, Stephanie, there's your answer. Yeah. But I also <laughs> think too, that, um, the times and the culture that we're in yeah. is making people rethink artists. And, and irregardless of who says somebody's not getting in, there's a mountain that moves and you can't stop it. Oh, sure. Of course. You know, I yeah. mean, the, from what I understand from my periphery view of it, you know, the momentum for Judas Priest getting in has been mm. building for years. Oh yes. And I don't know um, how you can, keep saying no to that because one person doesn't like them. If there's that much momentum, for example, I just don't know. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, um, so that, that I think is, is interesting of it. Um, but I also think too, that they're the rock hall of fame now is looking at itself and, you know, anytime people like us say, well, why is it called the rock and roll hall of fame? Or why is this person? In? I mean, they, they sort of have to do a self-examination every couple months or every year about what are we doing and what is our future? I don't think they do though. I don't think they do. I think they know. Exactly some of their members do. Some of the members maybe. of the voting body do. Maybe. And so I'm not sure that the, I mean, the people I know that vote for it um, have mentioned that there, you know, that there is a sense of like circumspection after they vote each year, mm. but how high up that tree that goes. But a lot yeah. of the, the people that, you know, the ham and eggers, as they say, that get votes, um, are certainly changing the way that museum is, is or, or that organization is putting people in. And I think once that, you know, that, that, that sort of issue of, okay, who is the final authority? Is it the people that vote or is it the people on the board? Once that fracas is sort of settled, I think that determines the future of, of where it's going. And I think to the point now of opening the floodgates, you know, Judas Priest got in this year. I think the momentum's now going to be there. Next, it's Iron Maiden. For if you're looking my, yeah, at for Maiden. Yeah. Or if you're looking at, um, you know, 
rap you've got eminem i mean there have been rap artists getting in for mm -hmm. ages but mm -hmm. you look who's not there i mean we're not snoop dogg right right oh I, I'm, who, I'm sure snoop dogg is in at some point right like who's who's coming next yeah you know yeah you've, you've got dolly who's who's gonna be the next country's artist yeah right maybe loretta lynn yeah maybe you know that's that's very possible you know so um chris yeah, christopherson eh. <laughs> maybe look at the songs he's written for other people that's true as a songwriter maybe i mean you can but it's a combined thing see we dismiss a lot of folks but then you look at like their songwriting career their production career and the recording career and you have to look at the whole body of work i i know i, I know. know so, <laughs> anyway. so to, to move the conversation on a little have they announced who will actually be playing at the show yet? No, no, that, that okay. hasn't happened yet. And that's what I'm really waiting to we, see. Because we know another thing is, well, we assume, yes. Well, they've said Andy Taylor is going to play with them. Oh, well, that's true. That, yeah, well, so he, have they said he's going to be there? Yeah. He I mean, or, or play. That's two different things. He is from, from what? Uh, it has sounded like from the stuff Roger Taylor's been saying is that they are looking forward to playing music with him again. Okay, that's good. That's good because Which, you know Steve Perry came in with Journey, but he did not perform with them. Yeah, but he was there anyway. Um, so, but another aspect of this is uh, now that we know the inductees, who do you think will introduce these people? I think for Judas Priest, it's going to be someone like James Hetfield. I right? agree with that. I, I think get because they were a huge influence on Metallica. Yeah, Metallica already in. You get James Hetfield up there. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. Um, I can. Totally I think Eminem. You've you've got to have it as as Dr. Dre. I mean, Dr. Dre. Oh was yeah, mentor, absolutely. Right? I, I would be shocked if that didn't happen. For everyone else, I I'm I could totally see that. I could totally see Gaga uh, inducting the Eurythmics. I was about to say that, um, yeah. and I or I was going to say Janelle Monae. Um, oh yeah, that's a good point too. Um, or St. Vincent. Yeah. Um, and then for, but well, they could, one of those people could also do Pat Benatar as well. Bruno, Bruno. I can see Bruno Mars putting in Belafonte. Yeah. Okay. I can see something that. like that. Um, yeah. How about Miley Cyrus for Dolly? That is a good suggestion. Miley that Cyrus makes, would be good for Dolly. And I think uh, Janet sense. Jackson for Jam and Lewis. I mean, that would make a hundred percent sense. They, she is their biggest success, you know, and I think that'd be amazing to see her do that. And I could see someone like John Legend putting in um, Lionel Richie. Yeah. That makes sense too. Man. I what? love John Legend. I feel like he has got like that classic soul voice that is going to be timeless. He uh, you know? he played at my company's performance awards this year. They shipped oh, wow. our top performers out to somewhere in Arizona and had him play a half hour set. Wow! And when Duran Duran inducted Roxy Music, mm. Brian Ferry made the joke that we'll be happy to return the favor should you mm. ever get in. Now that would be interesting. <laughs> um, so that that could happen, um, which would also be interesting. Mm, so uh, who's cool. going who's going to induct carly simon you know i was thinking about that and um my friend daniel even though she was just there this past year on behalf of carol king uh he was saying that it made perfect sense that taylor swift would be the one to induct carly simon and i think that 
make sense. But I think if it's not her, it'll be one of the the newer breed of like female singer songwriter types that that's going to do it. But I think I, I don't know. I haven't quite pinned an, a good idea down for her yet. I think Tori Amos should do it. Tori is waiting for her moment to induct Kate Bush. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, she's just she's on standby. She's like, just give me the green light. As soon as she's in, I'm there. I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah, without Kate Bush, there would be no Tori Amos. 100%. Curious to see about next year. Yeah. Because I think this year was a groundbreaking year. We just, some people don't realize it yet, but I think this year is a year that the needle gets moved a little Yeah. Um, on several fronts, and I'm curious to see what happens next. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, Devo and Kate Bush still not getting in next year. <laughs> Agreed. I got to say, though, I do think that no matter who it is that ends up performing, it, it, this is going to be a fantastic show because for the most part, this is one of the few times that, you know, most everybody that's in the performer category are people that are still alive. They're still active. They're still like, you know, out doing their thing. So I think that this is going to be like just a great show as far as the performances go. So that's the, one of the things I'm most looking forward to. Get them all on stage to do Jolene. All right, so so that's it for this week. Thank you guys so much for chiming in on this subject. Rob, where can people find you around ye old internet? So on the interwebs, uh, you can find me on the eCoffee.com uh, podcast, Weekend Justice, and also on KDHX on the radio. Um, if you don't live in St. Louis, it's fine. You can listen online at kdhx.org. All the shows are archived for two weeks, so you can do that. Um, there's a Twitch thing coming. I'll send you some stuff about that. And, um, yeah, that's it. And I'm on Facebook and, and, and the tweets. So just find me there. Anthony. As usual, you can find me on Watchers in the Fourth Dimension, which is a Doctor Who podcast where we are watching our way through all of Doctor Who from 1963 until now. We are currently coming towards the end or, or the latter part of the Pertwee years. We've just wrapped up season 10. We'll be putting out our Season 10 retrospective in about a week's time. And uh, we've just released a bonus episode on a very, very bizarre Big Finish story called The Scorchies, which is a bit like what you would expect if you watched Doctor Who after downing an entire bottle of cough syrup. I've got a, another podcast on this very network called Earth Station Trek. And as the name implies, we talk all things Star Trek. And I also have my publishing company, Cosmic Press, and you can find that at CosmicPress.com, K-O-Z-M-I-C Press.com, or on Facebook or on Twitter. All right, gentlemen, thank you very much. I hope you have a great week. I hope all our listeners have a great week, and we will hopefully be back next week with some other fabulous topic to be announced at some point. <laughs> Everybody have a great night. See ya. Good night. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.